0: Good morning! We're so glad that you are able to watch us this morning for Sunday School here at the Kerbinsville Christian Church. We've been going through a study uh, through First and 2 Samuel and we're up to chapters 9 through 11 today. So let's remind ourselves of a few things before we get right into it today. Remember, Basically, the whole book of 1 Samuel is devoted to the rising of a certain king, that is King David. However, there's a lot of material that is provided in the narrative to show us how David would ultimately become king and move from, really, the book of Judges where where there is no king. So in the beginning, we saw the rising of a prophet in the first few chapters, Samuel, we then see a demand for a king from the people of Israel. The Lord of course tells Samuel to warn them about what would happen when they get their king, because they're rejecting the Lord, but they still want a king. And so if you remember the last time we looked at this in chapter eight, after warning them and their insistence that this is what they're supposed to do, and the Lord says, I'll go ahead, give them what they want, he sends all of Israel back home. And so now we're at the point of, well, we've got to find a king. So that brings us to chapter 9 through chapter 11, where we're going to be introduced to the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Now, I want you to remember something. If you can remember back to when we looked at Judges, specifically when we looked at the whole issue of the Levite's concubine and the the horror of that event, as well as the response of Israel in punishing Benjamin to the point where only 400 men were left alive. And then of course they had to take those maidens in order to the for the clan, I mean the tribe to continue on. Kish is a descendant of one of those 400. And so I think that's pretty interesting when you see why God preserved the tribe. Because it's going to result in the first king, the first king of Israel. So let's look at this together. We're not going to read the passage simply because we have too much material to go through. And we're just going to kind of go through each section. We're going to be introduced to the son of Kish and his becoming king. Okay, so let's go ahead and begin. We're going to start in chapter 9. Verses 1 to 14 starts off really with an interesting story about some missing donkeys. So let's, let's go ahead and begin here. First of all, the writer introduces the reader to a wealthy Benjamite named Kish. When you look at verse 1 of chapter 9, the New King James says, A Benjamite, a mighty man of power. But that word can also be used to be translated wealth. So a mighty man of wealth. And we're going to see that obviously he is a wealthy man because of a couple of things. Number one, he has donkeys. Remember, donkeys are like the equivalent of a vehicle. All right. So he's got more than one donkey, he's got donkeys. And he has servants because he's going to send a servant with his son. So obviously, Kish is a man of means, a man with some sort of wealth. Now, Kish had a handsome and tall son who was called Saul. So he had a son by the name of Saul, and I want you to listen how the scriptures describe Saul. He had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So basically if you think about a tall basketball player, that's kind of like what we're talking about here with Saul. He was a handsome young man, taller than everybody else. He was a pretty pretty much a good guy as far as appearance. Now, the scripture then tells us that Kish has some donkeys that are missing. So Kish sent Saul with a servant to seek out some donkeys that were lost so hey the donkeys have gotten loose we don't know where they're at Saul Saul I want you to go and find them take a servant with you let's get this taken care of now searching through the mountains of Ephraim and the land of Benjamin they found nothing so obviously this is more than just taking five minutes to go look for the donkeys this is taking some time and again they're on foot So they're marching around the mountains of Ephraim, plus they're going through the land of Benjamin, looking for Kish's donkeys. Okay, Looking for Kish's donkeys. Now, as Saul prepared to return home, the servant suggested going to a man of God. Now, what you're going to see happening here is that after a little bit, Saul says, you know what, we better head home because my dad's going to worry about us. And uh, at this point, we really need to head home. Well, the servant says, you know what? There's a man of God nearby. And whatever he says happens. Maybe he can tell you where those donkeys are. Let's go see the man of God. Another term that they would use, we'll see it also referenced here in this passage of Scripture, they refer to them as a seer. That's somebody who sees what's coming. Okay? So... Saul recognized that they did not have a gift and the servant offered his quarter shekel of silver. So Saul's thinking, okay, yeah, we can do that, but normally you would need to bring a gift and we don't have anything. Well, the servant speaks up and says, hey, I've got a quarter of a shekel of silver. We'll give that to him for telling us where the donkeys are. So, okay, they're going to go do it. They're going to go march through, up to wherever the, the servant of God is, the man of God is, to find out where these donkeys are. So they journey to the city where the man of God lived in order to find him. Now we know from other passages prior to this that Samuel settled into his hometown of Ramah. So they're going to Ramah because that's where the man of God is, okay? That's where the man of God is. So they got into Ramah. They're asking people, where can we find the man of God? Where can we find the seer? He's up here. So they're heading up there. So as he went to the high place, Samuel approached Saul and his servant. So at this point, it turns now to Samuel. So Samuel's going up to the high place. What would he do in the high place? Well, he would make sacrifice in the high place. That's probably where the altar of the Lord is that he had built. Remember, that was mentioned as well, that he built an altar of the Lord in Ramah, probably on a high place. And so he was probably going up there to make sacrifice. And so as he's going up to the high place, verse 14 tells us he's approaching Saul and his servant. Saul and his servant. So now we come to chapter 9, verse 15, and this goes all the way into chapter 10, verse 16, and it's where Saul meets Samuel, and we see the discussion that's going on here. Okay, So the writer then begins to tell us in chapter 9, verse 15, that the day before meeting Saul, the Lord told Samuel that he was sending a man to him. So the day before, so the day before this chance meeting, quote, chance meeting happens, Samuel is told by the Lord, Hey, I'm sending a guy to you. I'm sending a guy to you. This man, the Lord tells Samuel, this man was to be anointed commander of his people, Israel. So basically, he's telling. Samuel, Samuel, this is the guy who's to be anointed, who is to be the commander. He's the guy that's to be the king. Okay? He's the guy that's to be the king. So, since the Lord heard the cry of his people, this man would save them from the Philistines. This man would save them from the Philistines. So, what we see here is God saying, I've heard the cry of my people. I'm raising up this guy. This guy, you're going to see him tomorrow. He's the guy. Anoint him. He's king. And he's going to defeat the Philistines. Now, I want you to think about something. Remember what we talked about narratives? Okay? Narratives don't... They either teach by implication or they either teach right out. And one of the things that we see happening here is that Saul is coming to see Samuel. donkeys. Samuel's told by the Lord, I'm sending him to you. Now, okay, hold on. What's going on here? What we see here, basically, can I tell you, is the sovereignty of God. Saul has no clue what's going on. But God is using and, and orchestrating the events of human life to bring Saul to the right point Of interaction with Samuel, which will be be the beginning of his kingship. And it's very much implied here that God is the one who's bringing Saul to Samuel. But when you read the text, it's looking for the donkeys. It's the servant who says, let's go see the seer. Maybe he can figure out where the donkeys are. And so you see all of this happening. And as we get further into the text, you realize God's really the one who's in control here. Let's go on. I'll tell you what I mean. When Samuel saw Saul from afar, he knew that he was the one chosen by God. So Samuel, he's going up to the high priest. He sees these two guys coming. One's a guy and obviously the other's a servant he sees the one guy which is Saul and he realizes from afar this is the one this is the one that God has chosen okay this is the one that the Lord has chosen so Saul asked Samuel remember Saul's not realizing what's going on here okay Saul asked Samuel where he could find the seer cuz he doesn't know who Samuel is where he could find the the seer and Samuel identified himself I'm well I'm he You're you're looking at him. So that that had to have shocked Saul. Okay? Then notice the next thing the text says. I think this is amazing because this tells you the sovereignty of God. Saul probably didn't say anything about the donkeys at this point. He's just trying to find the seer. Samuel identifies himself, and now he told Saul not to worry about the donkeys since they've been found. Whoa! How would Samuel know that? How would Samuel know that? Because this is the first time he's going to see... He hasn't even met Samuel before. He's not even asked him about the donkeys. Samuel says, don't worry about the donkeys. They've been found. Why would Samuel know that? Well, because the Lord set this all up, folks. And the Lord is the one who told Samuel that the donkeys are found, tell him not to worry about it. I've got other business here. Remember, Saul's the one who's going to be chosen to be leader over Israel. So he then told Saul that the desire of Israel for a king was on his house. The desire of Israel for a king was on his house. And I think that is very interesting. And I I think because it's like the desire of Israel. What was Israel wanting? Well, look, if you look at verse 20. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? That's a rhetorical question. Everybody knows that. The desire of Israel is for a king. Remember, that's what they're wanting? Even in spite of the fact that God's warning them? And he says, is it not on you and all your father's house. He's basically saying what they desire, Saul, is a king, and that's you. That's you. He told Saul, you're the king. You're what everybody's looking for, buddy. You're what everybody's looking for. Now, which is typical in that day of how how they interacted with each other, They would never say, Oh, yeah, I'm the man. You know, no, he's humble about it. Humbly, Saul stated that he was not worthy of the honor. And he goes beyond just simply saying he's not worthy, he's saying their whole household is not worthy. The family of Kish is not worthy for this honor. Okay? The family of Kish is not worthy for this honor. So Samuel honored Saul at a feast and invited him to stay at his home. So what you see happening is, Some sort of sacrificial feast going on, which, again, Samuel knows what's happening beforehand. He had already made all of the arrangements, choice piece of meat to be given to the one that he would point out, which was Saul, and then he has Saul stay in his home that evening. He shows hospitality to Saul. In the morning, Samuel and Saul send the servant ahead so they can speak privately. In the morning, Samuel says, Hey, go ahead and send your servant ahead. I've got some things I need to tell you. Okay? I've got some things I need to tell you here. And at that point is where we see the anointing. Okay? So this is in chapter 10. Chapter 10, we see the anointing. Look with me at verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? So Samuel anointed Saul by pouring oil on his head. That's how they anointed back then. You're going to see this several times through the scripture. For instance, you're going to see that with David when he's anointed by Samuel to be the next king. Now, what follows is is that Samuel told Saul a series of events that would take place on his journey home. And what follows in the, in the verses after verse 1 is really telling Saul, Saul, just so you know that this is all, here's some things that are going to happen that are going to confirm that you're the guy, you're the one. Okay, so let me kind of go through these with you, all right? Go through these with you. So he says, when you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, And they will say to you, The donkeys which you look for have been found, and now your father has ceased caring for the donkeys and is worrying about you. What shall we do about my son? Next event. Then you shall go forward from there and come to the terabith tree of Tibor. And there three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. They will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. And after you go, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And, you, and it will happen that when you come there to the city, that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with, string, with, an, with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and be turned into another man. And let it be, when these signs come to you, that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. And you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. All right, now that last verse, verse 8, is actually something prophetic about something that's not going to take place on Paul's journey back, but something that we see that's going to happen later. But let's just talk about right now. He's told him this series of events. He tells him, Samuel tells Saul, that the Spirit of the Lord will come upon him. And notice what the text said when I read it to you. And it will change him. His character will change. Now, let me just remind you, this is completely different than the Spirit of God coming upon a person in the New Testament. In the Old Testament... God's Spirit would rest upon servants that he needed to empower them for the moment for what they needed to do. It is not like now where the Spirit of God inhabits and dwells believers because of what happened at Pentecost and that point on. The Spirit's role now is for your guarantee. He is your guarantee of an inheritance he is your seal we see that in ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 through 14 he is the comforter jesus talked about in john 13 through 16 the helper who would come and guide us and so forth that's completely different than what we see here with regards to saul so the events took place as samuel had prophesied, and the people were astounded at Saul. Because when the Spirit of God came upon him, Saul then began to prophesy. Now, let me explain to you what we mean by simply what does the gift of prophecy mean here. It is not the gift of tongues. Some people would equate that. No, no, prophecy and tongues are spoken of differently in the Scripture. What we're talking about here is the proclamation of truth, the proclamation of God's word that is being spoken out, which would have happened with prophets. To the point, listen to me, to the point that the people, when they were astounded, said, is Saul among the prophets? They wondered, is Saul now a prophet? That's what's going on here. Now, when he gets back, Saul's got an uncle. All right, so Saul's uncle demanded to know all that Samuel told him, but he did not speak of the anointing. So here's what's going on. It's not that he's being deceitful with his uncle. His uncle wants to know everything. When he hears he's met with Samuel, tell me everything Samuel's saying. Well, Saul is wise and not revealing everything. He just simply told me that the donkeys have been found. At that point, his uncle doesn't need to know that Samuel told him that he was to be king. That he was to be king. Now, when we come to chapter 10, verse 17 through 27, we see again another gathering at Mizpah. Remember, we've seen up to this point from the book of Judges, even into 1 Samuel, that when Israel gathered, they gathered at Mizpah. And so Samuel called... Israel to gather at Mizpah and reminded them of their rejection of the Lord. I think this is interesting. Samuel is pretty bold, but then again, who's going to mess with him? He basically says to them, look guys, we're here because you wanted a king, because you are rejecting God's rule over you. And remember, this king isn't going to be what you think he is, but God's going to give you your king. So then they had a process which we've seen before in the Old Testament. Remember when we looked at the the Pentateuch, the first five books, and how God selected by bringing tribes and then clans and then families to select an individual? That was happening when we had the sin of Achan when he stole the things from, from Jericho. Here we see the same process being used to select a king. So he then had Israel come by in tribes. So then tribes came by, they selected Benjamin. He then had them come by from the clans within Benjamin, families. And then ultimately Benjamin was selected, and then Saul was finally chosen. So Benjamin and the tribe, they worked their way down, and Saul was finally chosen. Okay? Finally they get down to Saul, the son of Kish. Now, once Saul was selected, they found that he was missing. Isn't this interesting? So here they are. they got all the clans, and we're we're all the way down. Okay, Samuel says, it's Saul. Bring Saul forward. Where's Saul? We can't find him. So they make a search through all of the camp. All these tribes camped together at Mizpah looking for Saul. Where's Saul? Well, they found Saul hiding among the luggage. That's really wild, isn't it? Here's the guy that's supposed to be king, and he's hiding, okay? He's hiding. So he was then presented to the people, and he stood above the people. Remember, he's a tall guy. He's taller than the average Israelite. By at least a head. His shoulders are probably going up to their height. And so they're like, oh my goodness, here he is. He's our king. Wow, wow so they're 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 really pleased so samuel then proclaimed saul as the lord's anointed and the people shouted their approval they shouted their approval how did they shout their approval well the text says they said long live the king isn't that how we still even today in cultures say long live the king okay long live the king or the queen so the people then returned to their homes And valiant men went with Saul. Now, what do we mean by valiant men? Well, soldiers. That's what we're referring to here. When they talk about valiant men in the scriptures, they're referring to warriors. And it's interesting because the text tells you that these are warriors that God had laid Saul on their heart. These are warriors that God had moved their heart to go and be with Saul. Okay? So these are men who are going to be Saul's men, Saul's warriors. Okay? Now, the text also tells us, just one verse, that some men despised Saul and rejected him as their king. I think this is just a natural flow of human history. We see that even true today. Not everybody likes whoever the leader is. And that's just being honest. You can't change anything about it. That's true even back here in the time of Samuel and Saul. That can be true even to this day. When somebody gets elected in our culture, there are people who are excited, but then there are people who are not excited. And here we see in this instance, Saul is selected king. People are excited. But then it tells us, the text tells us, That some men despised Saul and rejected him as their king, rejected him as their king. Now we come to chapter 11, where we're going to see the confirmation of Saul's kingship. Okay, so there's an Ammonite. Remember the children of Ammon? That was from descendants of Lot. Okay, there were two sons of Lot: Moab and Ammon. So the Ammonites, there's an Ammonite by the name of Nahash. Nahash, the Ammonite, besieged Jabesh Gilead and gave them conditions for surrender. Okay? Gave them conditions for surrender. Now remember where Jabesh Gilead is. That is on the eastern side of the Jordan. That was that property that was taken away from the Amorites and given to the two and a half tribes of Israel, because they didn't want to go over, but they went and helped their brethren take the promised land. So this is Israel, but it's on the eastern side of the Jordan. And it's being besieged by Nahash, and what happens now is Nahash, when he tells them the conditions, listen to this, this is some interesting... I, I, I'm just amazed sometimes at the conditions they set. He said, "Here's what I, he said: I will put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on Israel. Okay, I'll take your surrender, but here's what we got to do: If I'm going if you're going to surrender to me, I'm going to put out your right eye, and this will be a reproach on all Israel." Take out your right eye, put, it. and then the next thing that's amazing to me is the people are like, okay, we'll think about it, but in the meantime, give us a moment to send for help. And this is what amazes me. Nahash says, okay, go get help. Now you would say to yourself, now why would Nahash? Why doesn't he just take it? Well, I think this kind of shows you the arrogance of Nahash. He's assuming, because he thinks he knows what Israel is. At this point, in his mind, he probably doesn't know that there's a king, a leader. He thinks of them as 12 scattered tribes. What are they going to do against him? Go ahead, get your help. Okay? So the call goes out. So Jabesh Gilead asks for time to seek help. So the town of area of Jabesh Gilead asks for help. They ask for time. Okay, so they send out the call. The plea reached Saul, and the people responded by weeping aloud. Okay? So the plea reaches Saul, and the people responded by weeping aloud. Now, I want you to listen to this. It's interesting because you read the text. It says that Saul was out plowing with oxen. He just got selected to be king. But what does he do? When they go back home, he goes back to his normal life. He's out plowing the fields. He's plowing his dad's fields. I mean, here's the guy who's king, but he's out plowing the fields. Now, he comes back in. He sees all the people crying and everything. The Spirit of God falls upon him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, and he called Israel to gather for battle. It says that he took the animals, cut them into pieces, sent it out through all of Israel, saying, gather now. I'm calling you to battle. If you don't come, may this happen to you, what these pieces of meat look like. And of course, what the text tells us is is the fear of the Lord drove the people to respond to Saul's call. So they all gathered to the king. Okay? They all gathered to the king. What then follows is the Lord gave Saul victory over the Ammonites and Jabesh Gilead was saved. So what we see happening here is, God gives them the victory, and you can see how it is, the strategy and so forth, that Saul set forth. The Ammonites are defeated, to the point that no two, it says, were together. I mean, they wiped them out, and Jabesh Gilead was freed. Now here's what happened. The people then called for those who rejected Saul to be killed. The people then called for those who rejected Saul to be killed. What's going on here is is that we see that the people are like, okay, who said they didn't want you as leader? We need them out of here. They want to kill those folks, okay? We want to kill those folks. But I want you to see even Saul here, because I know he's got a bad rap later. Saul understands unity. Saul is a good leader in this sense, and that he commanded that they be spared since the Lord won the victory. He's basically taking the eyes off himself, putting it on the Lord, and says, you know, let those people be. That's basically bringing unity, okay? We're not taking vengeance because they don't align with us. We're going to do this together, all right? So you see unity happening. He's a leader that unifies. So then here's what happens. The people then went to Gilgal, and reconfirm the kingship of Saul. So rather than going back to Mizpah, they now go to Gilgal, and they gather together there, maybe it was close by from where they were in Jabesh-Gilead, and reconfirm the kingship of Saul. He is now our king. So that's what we see happening there with the kingship of Saul how it starts out. Now next week what we're going to do is We're going to go on into chapter 12, and we're going to see how Saul is as a king. And folks, it's not a pretty picture. It's not a good thing that we see happening there with Saul.